Hey everybody, it's Bree. Hey fellow patriots, I'm Bree. And I'm Blaze. Some call me Pa. It has been said that we have four boxes to keep ourselves free. These are the soap box, the ballot box, the jury box, and the ammo box. And we are the fourth box. We are here to arm you with enough information, resources, and skills to take back your freedom, increase your self-sufficiency, and inspire you to join in the fight against tyranny. Thomas Jefferson said, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Thank you for joining us and for joining in this fight. Welcome back to the fourth box. And Blaze, some call me Pa. Hey, Pa. How are you doing, Bree? Doing great. Ready for another episode on tyranny. Oh, boy. Absolutely. Ready to go. And uh, as we get started, I think we'll go back to our uh, tradition of, of uh, having a toast to all of our friends, patriots around the country, our veteran friends, and our all, all the friends that we have around the country. And, of course, remembering those that gathered up on the Buckman Tavern many years ago. Uh, to discuss their troubles of the day as we are discussing troubles of the day here. So here's a toast to all of our friends that have joined us and continue to join us. Uh, cheers. And uh, cheers. Stay, stay vigilant. Yeah. Fourth box. All Absolutely. right. Yeah, so uh, it's been a busy week, a lot going on again. I just want to throw up another quick reminder. I don't know if we have it on the website yet. We're really encouraging everybody to get themselves a citizen rule book. Familiarize yourself with those documents. I think they're really a good baseline to to begin your quest uh, in, in joining with the rest of us in restoring liberty and, and restoring the republic. Yeah, agreed. All right, so to that point, we're going to keep talking about the book on tyranny that we started last week. We made it through about half of the book last time. We're going to get through the back half of it tonight. Um, I think the front half of it, there was a lot more to kind of go real deep on. So, you know, we might not run as close to two hours this week as we did last time, but we'll just see where it takes us. Sure. So... As a reminder, this book on tyranny is basically pulling examples of tyrannical governments throughout the 20th century. And it's comparing things that happened then to things that are happening now. Now, one thing I didn't preface last week that I want to preface this week is that, interestingly enough, the author of this book, Timothy Snyder, is probably someone that if you or I pop ran into on the street, we wouldn't necessarily get along with that well because it turns out that I, a lot of his ideas are very different from our own, particularly how he views, you know, people who might be considered tyrants today. Um, in fact, I think he might have actually been a guest at the World Economic Forum. So I would be inclined to say that the man who wrote this book that we're learning from is more on the side of aiding the tyrants that we are disagreeing with. But mm -hmm. what I'll say about that is that I think that's part of 
all of this is that we have to be willing to look at all sides. So even though this is someone that I wouldn't necessarily agree with from a political standpoint, there's still value in the things that he says. And more importantly, as we've discussed on this show, tyranny is not something that affects Democrat, Republican, red, blue, left, right. It's something that affects everyone equally. So even though, you know, we probably wouldn't vote the same, the ideas of what tyranny are and what they look like in modern day are the same across the board. Uh, But I did want to preface that just because if someone were to, you know, purchase this book and flip through it on their own, they would probably interpret some of these things very differently than you or I are doing. So that being said, the first tip this week out of the book, very relevant to everything I just said, is investigate. So it's interesting because in the book, the way it's instructing us to investigate is not not necessarily something that I find super relevant or necessary. It's basically telling the reader to seek out print journalism as opposed to, you know, like more dynamic media like TV or internet, because it's saying that oftentimes those things are more of a spectacle. You know, they're really searching for the views and the follows and just just that more than anything. So they're willing to say crazy things and kind of do whatever they need to do to get a large audience. Whereas Mm -hmm. print journalism is a little bit more honest. That's kind of how the book paints it because Mm -hmm. it's, he makes it sound like there's more work going into print journalism and stuff. So where I take this one is a little bit different just because I think that that's not super relevant to the way the world works in 2024. I think print journalism can be good or bad. And I think, you know, journalism and news, if you will, on the internet or TV can be good or bad. Um, I would say it's more about where the money is coming from when you're seeking out news sources. So instead of seeking out print journalism as opposed to one of these other options, I would say try and seek out more independent journalism, journalism that isn't funded by these massive corporations. I think when Mm -hmm. we hear the word mainstream media, a lot of people just hear that as being the way that conservatives or right-leaning people refer to the news that we see on TV, like all the classic (laughs) news stations. But when I hear mainstream media, To me, that means news networks that are funded by massive corporations and are therefore biased. Mm -hmm. So for me, investigate means more seeking out independent journalists and people that are going out of their way to seek and report on truth without any funding, without any inherent biases. That's the way I interpret that one. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I think it... It's interesting that you made the observation that there appears to be, uh, you know, from the author of this piece, uh, maybe some leanings from a different side that you or I and most of our audience may not align with. But I think that still lends great value. And uh, the the title of this section, 
being investigate, I think is extremely valuable when we think about how little many of our peers understand about the workings of government, how it was intended, how it really is working. And, and I think this is partially assignable to people's lack of investigating, lack mm -hmm. of understanding or applying any interest, therefore any effort into understanding. And I think to me, the value in this section comes from points that we have been trying to make since our earliest podcast, and that is we all have to be involved. We all have to gain a basic understanding of the way we were supposed to be <clears throat> represented. We're not, we're not to be governed. We are to be represented, our voice, but it has strayed so far from that because there is such a lack of investigation. So mm -hmm. if the if the Department of Education is to is committed to promoting socialist and communist ideals, which I would say largely they are, then it becomes our responsibility. If we don't want to go down that path, then we have to investigate. We have to broaden our understanding. <clears throat> and I think largely we have found ourselves in this position where we, we are living under a higher level of tyranny day after day, week after week, because there is such a lack of understanding. So the value that I get from this section is the same thing that we were trying to promote from the beginning. Get yourself these documents, familiarize yourself with these documents, conduct conversation with your peers and neighbors, go to local meetings. Remember, we had really pushed the idea of all government is local. All politics are local. And the only way you can be a, a good citizen in terms of participating is to investigate the surroundings in which we find ourselves. So a couple of quotes that I dug up uh, related to <clears throat> investigate, or at least I thought, Question everything, every stripe, every star, every word spoken, everything from Ernest Gaines. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a little tickle tonight. <clears throat> Another one that, that comes from way back, the only true wisdom is in knowing that you know nothing. That's from Socrates. So I think those those observations, obviously many hundreds of years apart, but those observations are suggesting to us, it's up to us to apply a little energy into recognizing, understanding, and engaging in our surroundings. If we sit back on the couch and we don't investigate, <coughs> and we surround ourselves with the blather that comes off of that box, and do not pay attention and do not get involved, um, I think the lack of investigating our surroundings is showing up today. <clears throat> and I think it really, it really becomes 
all of our responsibility, like the quote we recited many meetings ago from Albert Einstein, we all have to be in, involved in preserving liberty or we're not going to have it. And that requires us to investigate and to understand what has been stolen from us. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up after having said, you know, to try and seek out these independent news sources, um, my mind goes to a lot of things we've seen over recent years and the way those things were reported on in the big name news versus more independent news networks. Sure. Some examples, of course, are <clears throat> what happened in Lahaina, Hawaii, or East Palestine, Ohio, or all over the country when we were seeing food processing plants just caught, catch on fire for mm -hmm. seemingly no reason. And this was happening all over the place pretty frequently. And when you look at all of those instances, you have all your major news networks in there kind of all saying the same thing. And then you had a lot of, you know, independent, privately funded, or just personally funded, um, or people who were straight up making no money on it whatsoever, going in and also reporting on these things. And again, going back to what I said about, it's really about looking where the money is, where the money is coming from. These smaller networks or these people who were doing it more out of as like a hobby as opposed to their career, they were the ones that were getting shut down or completely taken, like scrubbed from the internet. Oftentimes when they were all saying things that didn't necessarily align with what the major news networks were saying about these news stories. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to speak to what happened in any of those situations, what I think or what the massive news networks said, but we can see that the stories were different that we were being told, depending on who was telling them to us. And if half of them were being completely removed from any sort of news that you could go on and see to do your own research with, it does make you question why that's happening. Because who, who has the most to lose or gain? If it's mm -hmm. these little people who are telling you this stuff for no reason because they're really not making a profit off of it, yet they're the ones being scrubbed, it definitely makes me question why. So mm -hmm. my suggestion with investigate is to investigate and discern. And you have to have some level of discernment to be able to do any sort of investigating of your own. And I think discernment is not something that comes naturally. It's more of a skill, but yeah. you can learn that skill and you do it through things like you said, you know, looking at those founding documents, researching <clears throat> our history, researching mm -hmm. history, like the examples that are in this book, um, tyrants from the past, and it's kind of up to you to puzzle piece all those clues together and then find, you know, your own personal level of discernment and decide what all of those things look like that you're being fed. You can investigate yeah. all you want, but it's really 
up to the individual to decide what that actually means. And that's why all of our interpretations as far as what we see on the news every day is so different because I think our levels of discernment are different. Yeah. And, and I think, Bree, so many, uh, whatever their preferred source of information is, <clears throat> they take that at face value and that's all the further they're going to look into it. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> When you think about all the people whose little mom and pop shops got shut down, but Walmart was open mm-hmm. during the COVID thing. And I know we talked about, you know, not wanting to solely focus on that, but there were so many terrific examples of out of control tyranny right here in this country. <laughs> and if we are going to be so naive, so willing to accept and not investigate for ourselves and make those determinations and then start to question, like you said, to discern why would somebody be doing this? Why would Walmart and Target be allowed to be open, but every little mom and pop shop down on your main street be forced to close? There, we are obligated. We are it is our responsibility to watch the conditions that are going on around us and make sure that the next generation is not sitting in bondage. And we Mm -hmm. were sitting in bondage and that was a test balloon to see, as far as I'm concerned, to see how much they can get away with on the next one. And when people largely accepted everything that they were told without questioning, without investigating, that led us to a very, very dangerous situation that I would suggest we have not yet seen the end result from. Yeah, definitely agree with you. Um, The last quote I want to pull in regards to this one is a favorite of mine from Rockefeller, the godfather of the American education system. He said, I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. And you've brought up a few times in the last couple episodes how, you know, the culpability or some of the culpability does lie in the hands of teachers and people that that are in the education system because whether they know it or not, they're a contributing factor to taking away people's abilities to think for themselves and to use this skill of discernment. So we have to remember that the person who created our education system was the very man who said that he doesn't want us thinking for ourselves. And if that's the case, then it's up to us to do that and to learn how to do that. Exactly. And I I think uh, I'm going to call on a point that you made last week that I think was uh, a a great observation, really needed to be discussed a little further. And you made a point about the large percentage of the people who are solely committed to being viewed as conformant. They only want to fit in. Everybody, not everybody. So many people today are so unwilling 
to stand on that island, that they will stand for something that they know is wrong rather than stand out there on that island by themselves for something that they know is right. It's cowardice. It has led us down this very slippery slope that we are careening down. And it is without a question in my mind, a large part because people are afraid to stand up and maybe be outside of the crowd. And a lot of that could go right back to the teachers unions and the rest. Those people know better Mm -hmm. about some of the stuff that they are promoting in the schools. They know it's wrong and they simply do not have the wherewithal or the courage to stand up and say, no, I will not participate in this. And until we get to that point, we need a bunch more courageous people in this country that are not afraid to stand in the breach when everybody else is pointing a finger at them. Bring it on. That is what we need. It's the only way we're going to turn this around. Playing along and hoping that somebody decides to change the direction is not going to do it. It's going to take courage. And, and being willing to conform or, or bending over backwards to conform is a sure way to help us on the path to destruction. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess that's something that we're still trying to figure out is how do we instill courage in people? I think that's a big job, but um, we'll keep walking through our advice here in the book and maybe we'll find an answer. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. So this one leans nicely into the next one, um, which is practice corporeal politics, which basically means to be physically present. This one is telling us to show up, which you spoke about a couple weeks ago now, I guess, about how you have to be there. You have to show up. You have to be present in local politics, in, you know, local school board meetings, etc. Like walk in there, talk to people face to face, let them know what you want. You have to show up if you want mm-hmm. to see any change. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a good one because it really is demanding action. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, one of the points that we talked about very early on, and I think it's been an underlying theme through our past episodes, is that very thing. <clears throat> we, we know that uh, addressing things at Washington are uh, – it's they're not impossible – but they're very near impossible to make change through Washington. We know everybody down there is corrupted. Everybody in the legislative body, the executive branch, the judicial branch, all the way down to the Supreme Court. They're all corrupted. They absolutely, without a doubt, do not stand on their oath, do not honor their oath, and do not live up to it. So Mm -hmm. us trying to fix things at that level And many of us have gone down there and been involved in big gatherings and rallies and so on. And when we leave from the National Mall and these other places, those people are down there laughing. And they're right back to business as usual and it accomplished nothing. However, to go back to the point you made at the beginning of this section, your, your local school board is probably no more than four or five miles away, your local school board meeting. 
your local sheriff's office, your local county commissioners or county legislators, whatever you may have in the state you're living in, is probably only, you know, 10 or 12 miles away at the most. And maybe in some of the western states, it's a bit further. But getting involved at the local level, getting involved at the precinct level, making your voice heard, the only way we can swing this thing is for those people to understand that we're not happy with the direction they're chose and to hold their feet to the fire about upholding that oath that they swore to. And the only way you can do that is by being a presence in their office when they have their public meetings, be down there when they open that thing up for public comment, get a bunch of people down there and start making some noise. We used to do this all the time. I continue to encourage people to do it. It can turn around at the local level. It's going to be a slow process, I know. And that's one of the things that Americans, unfortunately, are not very good at. We want instant results. We want instant gratification. We want to make a small investment of our time or resources, and we think the part that, that the problem's going to go away. This requires constant vigilance, eternal vigilance. We have to stay on top of it. If we continue to show no value, we place no value in this inheritance that was won by the blood of our forefathers. If we do not place value in it, we will not have it at all. And I would suggest it's mostly all gone right now. So that means people have simply got to get up. We simply have to get involved. We can't go down and pull the handle on election day and think our problems went away because we got a few more of ours or we got a few more of these. They're all on the same team. Stop it. Only we can prevent tyranny. Not somebody that you send to office and never go talk to again that will not fix the problem. So I think this is really good. It is exactly the point we've been trying to stress all along. <clears throat> and I hope that we can inspire some energy from young people. Not they, They're not the only ones responsible for showing up and being involved. And uh, But the young people can generate the energy and can generate some excitement and start swaying things at the local level, which could then move up to county and state and, and start making changes. Trying to start at the top and fix things in Washington by sending a couple of more. You know, we, we went through all of that. We've done it. We've done it many times. Back in 2008, 2010, lots of new people swept into through the efforts of the Tea Party and all of this stuff swept into the halls of Congress down there. And and within a year, they were either turned into the turds like the rest of the cesspool or they were spit back out and never sat on a committee or anything else. Washington knows how to take care of people that come down there with the intent to try and turn things around. And they spit them back out. We have to start at the local level. And it means getting up off the couch and participating. Yeah. Yep. Very well said. Um, I'm going to read the first paragraph from this section of the book because I think it very nicely reiterates the things that you just said um, okay. and and talks a little bit more about it in a way that's a little bit more hopeful because I do agree that um, because people crave that instant gratification, all of this can seem a little disheartening. So the paragraph says... For resistance to succeed, two boundaries must be crossed. First, ideas about change must engage people of various backgrounds who do not agree about everything. Second, people must find themselves in places that are not their homes and among groups who were not previously their friends. 
Protests can be organized through social media, but nothing is real that does not end on the streets. If tyrants feel no consequences for their actions in the three-dimensional world, nothing will change. So I think that perfectly says the things that you just said and even things that we said a little bit earlier when we first talked about the man who wrote this book. For this to really be impactful, one, we have to show up. And two, we have to understand that many of us are not going to agree with each other, but we share a common enemy. And, and uh, you know, the, the disagreeing on various issues and, you know, subjects on how to fix this or f- how to fix that, that, that's all fine. I think what we have to do is come to an agreement that the system, the way it was intended to work, the way it was designed to work, and the way they all swore they would help keep it work is completely upside down. So all, we don't have to agree on every issue and how to fix it, but we do have to recognize left, right, middle, up, down, gay, straight, whatever, we have to realize that we are subjects today to the people who are supposed to be subservient to us. And it's completely reversed. And that is what we want to change. That is living under tyranny. We are being taxed. We are not being represented. They they can run around and claim all of these things that we are your elected representatives. And why don't you do what you promised to do? And why don't you represent the voice of the people? Because they really are not. So the only thing we have to agree on is that our inheritance was stolen and we're going to get it back. You know, I, I, I might offer up a qu- quick comment here. I don't know if you've seen this. I think it was last week, maybe a day or two after we had uh, uh, had done our last session. There is a sitting congressperson. I think maybe his name was Turner, but I could be wrong on that. And he announced that he will not be rerunning. And the statement that he made was, the war is not in Washington. It is with Washington. And I thought, you know, I think there ought to be about 535 people in those seats, that being all of the House of Representatives and all of the Senate that understand that same thing. It's not, it's not those two different parties down there fighting. It is we, the people, fighting against the tyrants that now occupy those seats. And at least this guy made a statement that I kind of felt endeared to that said pretty much what we're saying. It's not the fight between the Republicans and the Democrats down there. It's the fight between we, the people, and those who are trying to rule us as tyrants. That is where mm-hmm. the battle is needs to be addressed, not... Not this Republican-Democrat thing that they keep us completely distracted on. They Both parties have made a habit out of plundering us and our children's inheritance. And until we accept that and decide we're going to do something about it, it's only going to continue to get worse. So I, I heard at least from an individual that recognized, or at least he was pretending to recognize that it's not it's not the Republican Democrat thing in Washington, D.C. It's we the people against Washington. And I found that to be 
somewhat uplifting that this person decided he was not going back because he didn't believe the battle was down there. It was with, you know, anyway, yeah. not to get too far off. No. Yeah. We love that. And you're <laughs> right. Is that's, that's what we need is just more of that. Um, little by little, you know, a few voices like that could really go a long way. Yeah, and, and hopefully he finds a place uh, in his home district to, to get involved and, and to start educating people and helping them recognize what has gone on. And maybe that can be a springboard to a bigger, you know, a bigger area and other other counties and other areas be affected by this opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right, so we'll move on. The next one is learn from peers in other countries. So, of course, there was plenty of examples in the book, but I personally just want to speak to this one quickly because of everything that we've seen going on in with what started in France um, with the farmers protesting in a massive, massive way. For anyone who hasn't paid attention to what's going on there, it's complete insanity. I mean, there's tractors and manures, manure manure all over the road all over the city streets um in the like blocking the city from you know people moving like normal um all kinds of stuff hilarious like livestock in inner cities just it's just chaos because of all of the crazy laws that have been being brought on these people because of the stuff we talked about with the World Economic Forum, all stuff that revolves around how, you know, farming and raising livestock is destroying the planet. It all stems from climate change stuff. And they're really acting like all these harsh restrictions they're putting on farmers in all of these countries is going to, you know, drop the temperature of the globe by like a degree or two or whatever nonsense we talked about a couple weeks ago but it started with france and now it's like 18 countries norway belgium uh the netherlands portugal spain on and on and on it's all mm -hmm. over the world and they're protesting in massive ways and mm -hmm. we saw this during you know covid again covid is going to mm -hmm. keep coming up of course but same thing we saw these massive like tens of thousands of people protests all over the globe. And unfortunately, it makes me very sad to say that we, the people who, you know, love to preach how free we are when it's the 4th of July, but the rest of the year, we weren't doing anything. All these people yep. are protesting in a big, big way. They're making their voices heard. And, you know, we're at home on the couch watching TikTok or whatever. Yep. So I think this is a good one because we do have a lot that we can learn from people who are in similar situations where they're facing tyrannical restrictions on their livelihood, the way they just conduct their lives in general, be it with education or food whatever, all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. I mean, it's all over the globe now. And still, just like in 2020, we aren't doing a lot. They are. So we have mm -hmm. a lot to learn from them. Yep. Uh, 
if you're done, I again, this this is a uh, a point that offers up so much to talk about. The first thing I would say is being there, multinational, many many countries. That's that should suggest to all of us that mm-hmm. there is a force bigger than any of those independent countries' governments that are pushing this. So let's just recognize that this is a push by the globalist cabal that is largely making an effort to run the world, which does include, by many accounts, a a large depopulation effort. So that would include decreasing the food producing capability of countries. That would include, as I mentioned, the very notion, this should should be eye-opening to people that there are countries all over Europe, other places around the world that are protesting this globalist push, this nonsense about the green and we got to save ourselves by eliminating all the farms. And and you know what other point jumps out to me? The ignorance of people in this country to think that somehow they're going to be safe and secure in their little city when we get away with all the do away with all those bad farms. Because I think people are so far out of touch with reality, with the nonsense that gets spewed in this country in particular, with all the silliness, sporting events and transgender this and transgender that, for people that this is the stuff they're focused on, instead of recognizing that as food-producing capabilities get reduced, guess what? There's a smaller amount of food available, which means the price is going to go up higher, which means at some point somebody's going to start dying from starvation, or there's going to be wars and all the rest of it as a result of this. And this is all part of the big plan, I would suggest. So instead of playing along with this silliness that we're getting crammed down our throat that we need to we need to get a, do away from from with cows because their flatulence is contributing to global warming and we're all going to die because of ozone and, and all this because of the cows this is garbage it's nonsense and the only way the people that are pushing this get any clout to do it is the political cover of our ignorance. Why do we sit back and tolerate this stuff? And and another point that jumped to mind, it it was completely astounding to me that Canada had to show us how to stand up with their truckers up there and, and thank the good Lord that the truckers around the country and the farmers around the country are, are and around the world are the people that will stand up and say this is enough is enough and all of these highly educated people and, and people living in the cities that are getting themselves all caught up in in what kind of silly uh, sexual fantasy transgender nonsense they can get themselves occupied with are too busy and, and, and too distracted to recognize that the whole world is being brought under this nonsense where we're going to do away with our own food producing capabilities. So thank God for these truckers and thank God for these farmers, the salt of the earth that are standing up and saying, we're not just going to sit back. And, and I'm, I'm so happy to see 
that the truckers in several instances around this country have stood up both on the border instance. And now you hear that they're standing up and, and re- some of them are refusing to haul into New York City because of that BS court case that was settled last week. So uh, th- there are certainly things going on around the world. It's embarrassing to me that the Amer- America, this country, the home of the free has to be shown how to stand up by countries in Europe and our northern neighbors. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I thought this was the place that that freedom won its place to stand, you know, back 250 years ago by the founding of this country. And now we got to let other countries show us how to stand up. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. So thank God for them truckers and farmers that are doing it. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. It is embarrassing, truly, because there are so many people who will run their mouths. Land of the free, home of the brave. Yep. Okay, well, who's free and who's brave? Yep. Please. Really, let me know, <laughs> because I <laughs> see very, very few. Exactly and you're exact, right. You're, you're exactly right, too, in saying that the people in the cities are so preoccupied with, you know, deciding who gets to call who what and determining that, you know, the whatever fake nonsense is coming out of this male breastfeeding stuff is just as good. I'm sure you saw this article. It's just as healthy for a baby as true breast milk, all this. I mean, it's like maddening shit. These people in cities are so preoccupied with that kind of stuff and trying to make sure everyone is equal in a way that doesn't make a lick of sense that they forget that if those farmers and if those truckers stop doing their jobs they aren't on any pedestal those people in the cities aren't going to have they're not going to reap any of those benefits either they think for some reason they're far enough removed from the situation that if they decide to stop doing their jobs because they're angry enough that somehow they're going to be protected that will not happen And we can look at this in the way that we just talked about last week when we talked about when this very thing happened before. This is not made up. This is what happened. Stalin did exactly these things that we're talking about happening today, the things that people are protesting. And what happened? Millions of people died of starvation and people turned to cannibalism. So if people in cities who are so worried about pronouns and what gender their toddler wants to be if they think that somehow they're protected from the same fate that those people suffered under Stalin's rule, they are dead wrong. And they have an awful mm-hmm. lot to learn about what's going on. And I'm not saying that they don't know in a way different from the rest of us. No, you know, it's not like it's only people that live in cities that are the problem, but there are, you know, certain groups that certainly are more out of touch with what's going on. And I think that's a great example. Yep. Without a doubt. And I, I just absolutely uh, astounds me that people around the country, in particular, these some of these spots where <clears throat> the government state level, such as in New York, is so egregious to the to the foundational principles that built this country, and the people just sit and accept. You know, you heard uh, 
the Remington plant up in New York closed because of conditions in, in uh, the state of New York. <clears throat> you hear, you know, that these truckers now are, so many of them are, are, are refusing to haul into New York City because of the BS uh, court decision that was uh, come out with by this fruit loop up there. And, and, and largely, the population is sitting on its hands doing nothing. All of mm-hmm. these people can be removed from office, all of them. If we get to the point that we're tired of it, we need to start removing these people from office that are by intention willfully destroying this country and stealing from us and our children that which was purchased by blood. And, and we are sitting around doing nothing. And that is the part that I think you and I and, and many of our friends around the country just cannot fathom how far are we going to continue to tolerate this thievery this tyranny that's going on and the conditions in which we are finding ourselves living. Uh, We we have to wake up and we have to push back. Yep. Lots of great examples there. I think we could go probably on that one for a while, but we made our point, so we'll move on. All right. Um, Well, this is an interesting one. And I think you and I both have different takes on it. So I'll let you speak to yours first, and then I'll come back to mine. This one is, listen for dangerous words. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk about the way you interpreted that, and then we'll just take turns. So I I think uh, my my immediate reaction to this would go back to some of the points that you made last week. And it had to do with some of the things that were said to you by persons in your sphere of influence or in your sphere of contact that were wishing death upon you and your family because you did not comply. You did not jump into conformance. And that's really what their problem is. The problem is they don't really care whether you took that shot or not. The problem with them is you made them look bad. You made them look cowardly because you had the courage to stand on the island. My point about how this ties in with dangerous words, these people were taught and instructed to do that by the television set that they were watching the news broadcasters and the talking heads on television, the sock puppets, the, the lapdog media were saying that you need to get out and you need to get in these people's faces and you need to say these types of things. Those are dangerous words. Those are very dangerous mm-hmm. words. And again, as I mentioned that quote from by from Voltaire last time, if they can convince you of absurdities, they can get you to commit atrocities. So how close were we coming? And was that last trial balloon that they sent up with the whole COVID-19 scamdemic, does that show them that they can basically turn brother against brother, family member against family member? This country is lost if they are successful in doing that. Those are the dangerous words that I get out of this. You have to watch 
Do not allow your emotions to get you caught up into saying something that you never, ever would have said before. Wishing mm-hmm. death upon somebody because they did not participate in something that you did. And that is, again, to me, it is largely because these people don't want to be made to look bad like you didn't have the courage to stand up. So they don't want anybody else to either. That makes them look very bad. And they were giving these, given these dangerous words by the talking heads and the very corporations that you mentioned at the beginning of the show tonight that own those news outlets. They are pushing the agenda. They are telling their talking head sock puppets to go out there and regurgitate this garbage and get people saying these very things because now you're knocking on the door of committing atrocities. And that's what the dangerous words mean to me. And that was just an example in the not so recent past or the fairly recent past. But these are the same type of influences and propaganda that were used in other tyrannical uh, countries around the world over the last 100 and 200 years. You can look at the stuff that went on in, not, in Nazi Germany and all the rest of it. They turn people against them. Pretty soon they're doing things that they never would have thought of doing. That to me is the dangerous words and to be watchful for them and have the wherewithal to understand the discernment. Like you said earlier tonight, you got to be able to discern if you're being steered down a bad path. You got to be able to make that observation. Yeah. Exactly. It's kind of like stuff we talked about last week with, you know, going into that room, into that trial and being the one who has to decide if you're going to deliver a shock to a person. You have to be proactive about the way that you think, because if you're not, you could find yourself in a situation like many of those people did. And they immediately jumped on board with the first thing the largest news network said to them. They didn't take time to think things through. They didn't take time to look at other sources. They didn't take time to investigate or do research of their own. They didn't have to because they never thought proactively, what will I do if it comes to this? Mm -hmm. It came to it and they jumped. Mm -hmm. And... I think all of these things really connect to one another for that reason. But the way that the first thing I thought when I read those words, it really, it ties very much to what you said, but in a little bit of a different spin. When I see listen for dangerous words, I Mm -hmm. really take that as listen for people who try to claim words are dangerous Mm -hmm. because In the end, if you have that discernment, you know there shouldn't be any words that are dangerous. Mm -hmm. For example, it wasn't that long ago that every major news network was claiming anyone who believed in God was remotely right-leaning, hunted, fished, supported Trump, or not even Trump, just the idea that America wasn't great and needed to be great again. Anyone who supported those ideas... They were labeling it on a big, big platform, big stages as terrorists. Mm-hmm. I think we still are considered domestic terrorists. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely insane. People that simply believe in the foundations this country was built on are being presented in the public eye as terrorists. Mm-hmm. 
which, you know, that's classic for tyrants is gaslighting people into thinking <laughs> they just manipulate you into believing that these people that are doing good are doing bad and the bad they paint them doing is what they are actually doing. Mm -hmm. And the example we'll pull from the book, exactly like you said, we can see this example very, very clearly in Nazi Germany. Carl Schmitt, who was like a legal theorist in the Nazi regime, explained that the essence of a fascist government is creating the idea of something being an exception to the norm and then turning that exceptional subject into a permanent emergency. And in doing that, they can convince the mass majority of people to trade real freedom for fake security. That was directly out of the Nazi playbook. And it is, mm -hmm. is it not exactly what we saw happen in 2020? Without a doubt. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I really, I really enjoyed your perspective on this. And it gave me some pause. And one of the words that immediately jumped into mind based on your vantage point of this remark, the word that jumped to my mind was deplorables. Remember, mm -hmm. we talked about deplorables last week, dangerous words. So, uh, you know, as Hillary Clinton was, uh, you know, running her campaign back in the day uh, 2016 against Trump or whatever, and basically called half of the country deplorable. Now, that was that, and, and, and the people that jumped on the bandwagon because that term was thrown out there. So now all of a sudden, aren't you somebody who is, you're, you're not just somebody who is viewing the world differently from a political perspective. You are a deplorable. You have no good traits about you. This was the leap that was made and people accepted that. That's dangerous words. If you can flip the, your opinion of somebody <clears throat> by a word, a word that was put out by somebody maybe you admire or maybe you're following or you're campaigning or supporting, and they can get you to buy into the notion that anybody who doesn't go along with you is a deplorable those are dangerous words. And I think they have become more prevalent in today's society from our talking heads and our people in high office. They throw them around and they know exactly what they're doing. They're creating these wedges. And I will continue to argue that that is largely to make it easy for those that really want to make sure that they have an opportunity to run the whole world. And that, that requires... Uh, we here in the United States of America to be feuding amongst ourselves, this silly cat and mouse game about Republican and Democrat and, you know, black, white, and all the rest of these things that is done by design. These words are being used to keep us at each other's throats. If we think 
because Hillary Clinton or somebody else calls us a name and now we have family members that lump us into that category simply because the the person that they're in favor of or maybe voting for deemed us that those are dangerous words and and they will they are continued to be repeated and repeated and repeated and that is how you get this stuff inside of people's heads and pretty soon they're willing to do things that they wouldn't have thought of 10 years ago so to me, and, and you brought up a, a very good point, uh, you know, these lies that are perpetuated by the media, you know, about the, all these different genders and all this other kind of silliness, those are dangerous words. They are convincing us, or at least certain parts of the population, that this nonsense is true. That is a very dangerous thing for us to be going down, the path we're going down. And it all starts with words. Mm-hmm. So a lot of good meat there, really, yep. I thought, on, on that particular topic. And I and I loved your vantage point on that. All right. Okay. Shall we move on? I think okay. so. Okay. The next one. Again, I'm going to read directly out of the book here because this has some really good stuff. Um, okay. The next one is, be calm when the unthinkable arrives. So what the book says here, modern tyranny is terror management. When the terrorist attack comes, remember that authoritarians exploit such events in order to consolidate power. The sudden disaster that requires the end of checks and balances, the dissolution of opposition parties, the suspension of freedom of expression, the right to a fair trial, and so on, is the oldest trick in the Hitlerian book, do not fall for it. So very, very similar to the example that we used last time. This is something that is direct from the Nazi playbook. This is directly how they came into such a despotate and all-powerful, tyrannical, and totalitarian governance. And they talk about the Reichstag fire. The Reichstag was the German parliament building. Now, at this point, the Nazis had already won the election, so they're already kind of in power. And on February 27, 1933, the Reichstag building gets burnt down. No one knows who does it. You know, I'm sure they were throwing all kinds of conspiracies around at the time. But what happened was the Nazi leadership immediately claimed that the Communist Party of the day was planning a violent uprising. One day after the fire, they put into place the Reichstag fire decree. The Nazis did. One day after the fire. The decree suspended the people's right to assemble, freedom of speech, freedom of press, eliminated restraints of police investigations, allowed the Nazi regime to arrest and incarcerate political opponents with no charges, and to confiscate private property, and to overrule state and local laws and governments. That decree stayed in place until the end of the Nazi rule in 1945. It took one disaster 
for them to mm-hmm. tell the people that for their greater good, they were going to suspend their liberties to, for safety, to protect them. Mm-hmm. And what came out of that happening? When they mm-hmm. suspended their liberties and took away their rights, we all know what came next with the Nazis. Mm-hmm. It took yep. that little, one emergency, yep. one disaster. Yep. So, uh, 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 is it okay for me to jump in now? Oh, yeah. Okay, so, again, the the most recent and the closest example that I have to present is in our state here, under Governor Wolf, up in New York State, Hochul, New Jersey, Murphy, Michigan, Whitmer, Illinois. I'm not going to remember the governor's name right at the moment, but that's okay. These places during the COVID, you know, there was a mistake made a long time ago that granted emergency powers to the executive authority. That's the governor in your state. The executive authority is the governor in your state. And they granted emergency powers. So in many of these states, which I just mentioned, and others around the country, during the COVID, in this particular state, Governor Wolf told us that we had to stay home. We couldn't go to our business. We couldn't go to our place of worship on Sunday or Saturday or whatever. It happens to be that you might go and gather with other believers. And... That was done under the Emergency Powers Act, which is completely unconstitutional. There is no, no such thing. Every law has to be go through the legislative body. So you can't come out with a decree, but they did. And I can honestly say this, in places like New York in particular, a couple of weeks ago, they were going to have a snowstorm up there. The governor preemptively shuts down the highways and orders everybody off the highways. This is another misuse of power, and it shows how close we are to those very things. All they would have had to say is that this thing's continuing. There's still the sniffles out there, and we're not going to allow anybody to do this. And all of those freedoms, the right to gather, the right to free speech, the right to go to your workplace, they were all suspended under this keep you safe thing, just like you mentioned. And it happened right here. It happened in, down in New Orleans and on the Mississippi Gulf Coast during Katrina. Martial law, no authority for this thing to take place, and the country yawned and went along with it. That is terrifying. And I happen to believe it was a test balloon for the next one. They absolutely could have kept those things in place, and what would have happened? The legislative body didn't jump up and say that is completely out of bounds. You don't have the authority. The courts did not jump up and say that. Everybody set back and let a strong man, in the case of Governor Wolf or, or, or the woman up there, Hochul in New York and these other, and nobody did a thing. We are that close, that close to that very thing happening here. And, and the country went back and watched the football game. That's what they were more interested in, more concerned with. We are that close to that very thing happening. And if they came out again today, I don't care how many pickup trucks you see running up and down the road with the sticker on when they pry it from their cold, dead fingers. It's a bunch of baloney. They all knelt down when they were ordered to do so. And if they were told to bring them rifles in and throw them in a pile, they would do that too. We had better grow a set. 
or we will be finding ourselves in bondage and our kids will be living in, in a country that we never, ever would have imagined. And we are knocking on the door to that right now. And I, I look around and I see these examples that took place during that. And it terrifies me that nobody, nobody said, I immediately reached out and wrote a letter and, and, and reached out to our state legislature. Impeachment papers should have been drawn up that day. And that son of a B should have been in jail. But nobody does any. Well, he's the boss. He's looking out for us. That is the kind of cowardice that will have us living in chains. Got a little bit excited on that one. <laughs> well, yeah, at least someone's getting excited about it. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, though, is that, you know, it it genuinely makes me sad. And you and I have had this conversation for quite literally four years now. The amount of people that we believed prior to this point, this turning point in our history, we believed genuinely we're willing to fight for freedom. People that said it all the time, they said all the right things, they wore the right t-shirts, they had the right stupid sticker on the back of their truck. Mm -hmm. And when it came right down to it, they were no better than, you know, the most nervous Nelly hiding under their covers for six months. Like, yep. nobody, nobody had a set at all, it turned out. And it was, it was absolutely terrifying to me when I looked around at peers and friends and, and largely saw most of them who I felt the same way as you just described. And I saw most of them just fall right in line and not even say, I'm not going along with that. They just fell right in line and went along with it. That is terrifying. Yep. The amount of people that I personally know who did it for very stupid reasons is disgusting, truly. Like, did it for, I want to go to a concert, or I want to go to a restaurant, or, like, look, I, I very much don't want to be super polarizing on here, because I understand there are an awful lot of people now who know what happened was wrong, and people who deeply regret their decision, or people who did it because they were afraid they weren't going to be able to feed their kids. They were mm -hmm. truly coerced in a very evil manner. Of course. And I genuinely feel for those people because I know there are people who, even people who very much were always on the very far other end of the political spectrum from me that now see what happened and see the truth in it. There's, you know, there's such a range of people who have changed their mind since then. I can't speak to whether or not they'll act differently if and when it happens mm -hmm. again, but I know mm -hmm. that there are people who regret or at least understand their decision was wrong. Mm -hmm. The thing is, I don't know if there's enough of those people because there are still so many people who either will never admit it or will never believe that the way that it happened in 2020 with COVID is the exact thing we just talked about happening in Nazi Germany. It is yep. the exact playbook, literally. And there's people who understand that now, but there's an awful lot of people who never will or who are too afraid to admit that. And mm. if you're an authoritarian, the way they described it, managing terror, well, that's just good marketing for your cause. Mm -hmm. And the Nazis implemented it. So did 
every other totalitarian regime throughout history. It's the same kind of, like you said, propaganda. They've been using the same type of propaganda for as long as we can remember because mm-hmm. it's effective and it works on the mass amount of people. That's how the Nazis rose to power. It's how they ended up murdering millions of innocent people. And if you are willing to open your mind, investigate, and discern, you can easily see the comparison. And as you've said many times throughout this episode and last, absurdities, atrocities, and how close were we? We, I don't know. But it makes me nervous for if it happens again. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, and and as you mentioned, you know, at risk of being a little polarizing, I think the only chance that we have the next time they roll one of these out or a similar instance where there's a catastrophe of sorts, where now we're going to come out with decrees, which is basically what these governors did. They came out with decrees and they said, mm-hmm. nobody shall go to church. Nobody shall go to their workplace. Those are the things that we simply have to stand up and go about our daily life. And if they want to come and throw half of his state or half of his country in jail, then let's get it going because we are not kneeling down. We are not going to just sit here and blindly follow unlawful orders, which is most important. People also understand that. That is why it is critical that people understand the way government is supposed to work. We don't have kings here. We don't have people issuing decrees that require the rest of us to follow their orders. That is not the way it works. So we all have to understand that we are that close. And the only way we can prevent that from happening is, number one, make sure we're going to have a spine. And number two, make sure we understand how it's supposed to work and start screaming from the rooftops at your local your local courthouse and everybody, every place else that you have an opportunity, we will not tolerate this tyranny. Will not. Because if we sit, roll over like a bunch of sheep, that yeah. is exactly it, it's exactly what's going to happen to us. You know, it, this one talks about how they give you an emergency to then, you know, initiate that terror management. And we talk about the pandemic because it's, Spot on, exact example. And it was very recent. They There could easily, easily be another type of emergency that looks very different than another pandemic. It could be something else entirely. It doesn't matter. For it sure. just needs to be an emergency that, as we've said, is an exception to the norm. That's yep. the playbook they follow. It's an exception yep. to the norm. We paint it as an emergency. Yep. So... That being said, with the pandemic stuff, we already know the people who absolutely did not and will not kneel. We made it four years. We never bent once for anyone. And for the people who are in this circle, we know that every single one of those people, it's now a hill that we will all die on. I speak for every single person who has made it this long without bending over. I know that to be true. We're not going to fold now. We've stuck with it for far too long and made it through 
way too much shit to fold now. Yep. So when the next emergency comes, we know we have that group. We need to pull from those people that did fold, but now question and regret their decision last time. Those are the people we need more of to join our side the next time. So we need people to recognize that terror management and be willing to resist it. Great point. That, that's exactly right. You know, they, they say there's somewhere around 19, 20% of the country that did not kneel, did not go along, did not get to, you know, go through all of the things that were being ordered. That's, that's a pretty good start. Now, if we can expand upon that, we can win this country back. And it's going to take people to say, and I'm not afraid to cross over that side. I know we were living under tyrannical diktats during those days, and we will not tolerate again. And we got to win some of those people over to the side that says we're taking a hard line on anything else. Remember, some of these skunks that have been sitting in office for a long time have come right out and said you never let a crisis go to waste. And that's exactly what you're talking about. They either fabricate or come up with these crises and then they manage them, and it all has about gaining more control. That is the whole underlying theme. They take more control. They see how much they can take without any blowback, and they learned a lot, which is exactly what I said back in those days. What terrifies me is how much they learned and how willing the country knelt down. That was what was terrifying. So we got to start trying to gain our numbers back from the group that you've talked about which are ones that are now second guessing what they did and maybe wish they wouldn't have. And I think those folks are, are, are able to be won over to our side, <clears throat> the side of freedom, by the way, <laughs> the best side. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're right. And that one, we can move on to the next one now very nicely um, because the next one is be a Patriot, which speaks perfectly to this. And the one thing I'll take from the book with this one is that it reminds us that being a patriot is not necessarily synonymous with being a nationalist. Being mm -hmm. a patriot means everyone deserves freedom and that all mm -hmm. lives are created equal. And it's just mm -hmm. like we talked about earlier with looking at other countries and the things that they're doing and understanding that freedom is not just for us, it's for everyone. And our enemy yep. is always the person that's trying to steal that. Yep. So, so patriot like militia and like some of these other words that were really intended to be uh, a, a rallying cry for those that support the American ideal, this whole idea of self-governance, that was the whole that. But today, because of the media and all these other influences that we've talked about have uh, on people with their propaganda today, a patriot is viewed negatively as is a militia. Those were the very things that protected your community. So, you know, by definition of that patriot, I would suggest that is a person who understands those founding documents and believes in the principle of individual rights and will fight for individual rights because government is in place to take care of the minority, the weak, the lesser, the small, and there is no minority smaller than the individual. And that is what the Patriot stands for, the individual and our individual rights. So learn those documents, get, those, get that citizen's rule book and get brushed up on what those things mean. 
government's only job is, is to secure life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And the rest of this stuff is nothing more but a power grab, just like happened in Nazi Germany and every one of these tyrannical regimes that ended up with millions of people being killed. <clears throat> yep. And the one quote I pulled for this one is exactly what we've said in every single episode. This is a quote from Thomas Paine. He said the duty of a true patriot is to protect his country from its government. Not the other That's way exactly around. Right. Exactly right. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. So with that, we'll move to the last chapter of the book, which is very important if you're going to pay attention to any of the other chapter titles that we've referenced in this episode and the last one. This one is Be As Courageous As You Can Be. And it says in the book, it's not a full chapter. It just very simply says, if none of us is prepared to die for freedom, then all of us will die under tyranny. Yep. I thought that was great. My mind immediately when, when I read this section went to the quote that we used last week from the Seth Dillon article that, that basically said, we have to stop worrying about what freedom might cost us. If we put money on the pedestal or our big fancy house or our big fancy car, and that is the only thing that we have placed value in because somehow that is our social status symbol, then the rest is lost. We cannot fret over what it might cost us. If we treasure freedom, if this is something that we truly want to preserve, make better and hand off to the next generation, our posterity, then we cannot concern ourselves with what it might cost us. And that is up to and including our lives. Like we talked about all the veterans that signed on that line. They promised that they would do that. And that never went away when you took that uniform off, by the way. That, that oath that you took stays with us for the rest of our life and all of the rest of them out there, police officers and everybody else. So I had another quote for you related to this one. I'm going to read if that's all right, Bree. If a nation values anything more than freedom, it will lose its freedom. And the irony of it is that if it is comfort or money that it values more, it will lose that too. And that was written by a guy by the name of W. Somerset Maugham or something similar to that. But I thought that that is exactly the truth. And it very well dovetails with the quote that you gave us. Yeah. So we have to recognize that the struggle for freedom that has gone on since the crack of dawn, it, it is not going to be given to you. You have to get yeah. up and fight for it. We all have to get up and fight for it or we will not have it. And the next generation will be living in conditions much worse than what we are seeing right now. And I think many of us would agree that they are degrading rapidly and they are heading toward that point. And the only way we get it back is to stand up and say, I will not, I will not surrender this without a fight. So definition of freedom for you. All right. Freedom means you are unobstructed 
in living your life as you choose. Anything less is a form of slavery. Anything less is a form of slavery. Wayne Dyer wrote that. I thought that was great too. It's really good because you talked about in, I think, the first and second episode very early on that you believe that we are all enslaved already because just look at the examples of our everyday life. We have to have a permit for everything we do. If I want to build something on my property that I own, that I already paid for, that I pay taxes on, I have to go get a permit about it. What? That makes no sense. And that's one example. There's a lot of places you can't drink raw milk. Of course. You can't collect rainwater. (laughs) What? (laughs) We are slaves. Yep, without a doubt. And there's only one way to break out. What's that? Well, we all got to get up and participate in taking back what is ours. And it starts at your local office and it starts by engaging in these conversations and and not sitting back and just flipping the TV channels. We all have to be involved and engaged and educated about how this thing is supposed to work and demand starting at the school board level, starting at the precinct office, starting at the county courthouse, demand that these people live up to that oath that they promised. Yeah. And I know it's getting a little late in the day. It's get, we're a little far downstream to still be preaching this, but that's the only way back without bloodshed. And we are dearly trying to prevent that. Yep, for sure. There's a little bit more I want to add to the last one that was be as courageous as you can be. And it kind of talks, you know, about the things that you've already said, but, and I don't mean to call anyone out, but I know that the majority of people that are listening to this podcast are in my age group. And that's awesome. That's fantastic. You've said it yourself. The older generation can provide wisdom. The younger generation can provide energy. Okay. That's great. However, I know because I have been doing this for so long that so many of the people that I know agree with me, that have had these conversations with me, that have already investigated, that know that this is where we're at. I know those people do absolutely nothing. Yeah. And again... I don't want to call anybody out, but we don't get to just bitch without coming with a solution. You don't get to do that because things really are that bad. And there are so many people who, because things are so bad, are becoming awake to it that never were awake to it. Mm -hmm. People who even as recently as last year or the year prior still didn't see how bad the conditions have become. Many people in my generation have had kids and that wakes them up to it. And they go, oh my God, I can't, I can't leave them with this mess. You've talked about that for yourself and your, you know, your personal reasons as to why you became so passionate about it and how that passion grew. And there are so many people in my generation who are in that very situation that now They'll bitch. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
but they're not going to do anything about it. And until we all get on board with doing something about it, being corporeal, being physically present, showing up, nothing changes. And again, we've talked about this through last episode and this episode. The reason for that is because people don't want to move out of the herd. And you talked about how people don't want to lose their status of like their material things. They put that up on a higher pedestal. But a lot of times for the younger generation, the thing they value more is the attention they're getting online. And they're Mm -hmm. so afraid of losing that attention that they won't speak against the current. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say this to all of you because maybe you know who you are. I'm disappointed. Really. Because it doesn't take that much courage. And nothing bad is going to happen. What's the worst thing that happens? Really? I mean, people are pissed off, so do something Mm -hmm. about it. That's always what I'm trying to drive home. If you're mad, do something about it. In any other aspect of your life, if you were pissed, you would go say something. Whether it was with a family member or your job, you would take action. This is much bigger than that. This affects everything that you do and the things that your children will do, and you won't do anything about it? I'd like to uh, uh, bring back up a point that we talked about maybe two or three sessions ago. And and I was very, very serious about it. and And I think you got a little chuckle out of it because I think you had a picture in your mind of it actually happening. But I think what, oh, yeah. as you speak, and we speak to some of the younger folks out there or or even my age and older, it doesn't matter what age you are. Get seven or eight of your friends, go down and have a pizza and a couple of beers and show up at the county commissioner's meeting and start marching in there. It'll be a, it'll be a blast. Go in there and watch what happens. They will be squirming. These are your public servants. They are there at your behest. They are there to take care of you and make sure your voice is being heard. Go into that session and tell them we'll be back next week and we're going to drag another dozen of us along with them. You will change things locally overnight. I would encourage people to do that as I offered before. If I could make it, I would come and join you. Go down and wait sit through the nonsense and wait till the public comment section comes up and everybody get up with a, with a gripe that they have and with the demand that they have and then offer to stand with them when we start pushing back against the state or against the feds or against whoever it is that's coming out with things that are, is not favorable to you and your kids or you and your family, get a group, go down there and participate and see this, these offices belong to you. They're ours. We don't have to be bashful about going in there as if we're treading into somebody's private property. They are ours. Every courthouse in this country belongs to us. The state buildings, the state capitol, the federal buildings, they belong to us. We do not have to be timid about going in these places and making our voices heard. And if you take seven or eight of your friends to do it, Go in and do it and go out and have a couple of beers afterwards and make a plan for the next time and get some more of your friends to go with you. And this thing could be turned around. It could be turned around. Yep. That's, that's for sure. You're that's it. We don't have to be bashful. We don't have to be afraid. 
And truthfully, still, we don't have to be disheartened because there is still hope, but it does rely on us. Yep. So, no man, no, my last no night quote on a, on for the horse. It's our boy, Sam Adams. It does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority, keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. So if we're doing nothing else here, I hope we're setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. Amen to that. Amen. Yep. Love that quote. Cheers to Sam. Yeah, here's to Sam. (laughs) I have a verse for tonight. Perfect. For clo- for closing the night, this comes from First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter sixteen. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. That's how we get out of this. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate all the support and love getting to share this message with anyone who wants or needs it. The best way for you to help us do that is to like, follow, subscribe, add a rating, and share with everyone you know. We'll see you next Thursday at 6 p.m. Stay vigilant. So that's simple. Okay.